0: Last week we did a a quick survey looking at the entirety of the story from the middle of of Acts chapter 6 through the end of of Acts chapter 7, but I wanted to to take a little bit more time to focus on um, a portion of of text here in in Acts chapter 7. And so if you don't have Bibles, there's Bibles that are under the pews, you can grab them there on that shelf. But Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 48. Here Stephen is, is ministering to the people, the leaders in Israel. The high court that's there. They've, he's been dragged to before them and he's been asked a question as far as, are these things so? Meaning the accusations that have been brought against him. And he goes from there just to pour himself into ministering the gospel to them. And in verse 48, he takes them to a text here that comes from Isaiah 66. But he says this, However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? The religious leaders had a miserable understanding of the greatness of God. He was he's so much bigger than what they ever, ever knew or understood. <clears throat> They dragged Stephen before this high court and he's just pouring himself into showing these people the greatness of God, his sovereignty, his hand throughout all of history. These that that are so consumed with the temple and the temple and the temple, he brings them to this passage in Isaiah where it just says, heaven is my throne. The Lord said, heaven is my throne. The earth's my footstool. Where's the house that you'll build me? Where's the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made, all those things, and all those things exist as the Lord. And then Stephen didn't go on to quote the next portion of this verse in Isaiah, but it says this, but on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. But what a perfect description of Stephen who's there. He goes through and quotes this passage as far as the greatness of God. But God's saying, I'll look on the one who is poor and has a contrite heart and who trembles at my word. And there's none of that taking place amongst the religious leaders at that time. He goes from there in verse 51 and he says, you stiff-necked... uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the holy spirit as your fathers did so do you which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute and they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it when they heard these things they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. On this day, this Sunday, we celebrate Palm Sunday. We think of Jesus riding into, into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. A picture that's, that's probably clear in most of your minds of what was taking place where Jesus tells his disciples to go into a village opposite of them and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her, loose them and bring them to me. And, and, then, and so they, they go and they do that and it's fulfilled by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That comes from Zechariah nine nine, where it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, and he's just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so, this is taking place. It's a fulfillment of Zechariah nine nine, and and so, the disciples go and do what Jesus told them to do, and they bring this, this this colt to to Jesus, and he sits on the colt, and he's going into Jerusalem, and there's a great multitude that's spreading their clothes on the road, and others are cutting branches down from the trees and they're spreading the branches out there on the road and the multitudes are there and they're crying out saying hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest and when he had come into jerusalem the whole city's moved saying who is this and the multitude say this is jesus the prophet from nazareth of galilee Now this enthusiasm of the multitudes, you can just picture it, clothes laying down on the path, palm branches being laid down on the path, people waving these palm branches, people saying, Hosanna, in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As all this is taking place, as the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah is taking place, those that were the religious leaders, those that were the high court, those that Stephen is speaking to they become more and more enraged with anger as this takes place. More and more as they see the multitudes and hear their their praise unto Christ and and Him coming, they they are more and more enraged with what's occurring. The elite within society, they start thinking of how can we kill him now you got to remember as we read this in acts like there's not that much time that has gone by since palm sunday i mean we're, we're, we're talking about a fraction of time something that, that, that everybody remembers all this occurring for sure the religious leaders re- remember this stephen remembers this the, the church has just exploded with converts people i mean thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people are coming to know christ the church is growing in incredible ways and here they've dragged Stephen before the high court, and he's just bringing all of this before them, talking about how God's worked throughout history, but bringing them to the point of seeing: you guys are the ones that conspired to get Judas to betray Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. You guys are the ones that that had that mock trial. You guys are the ones that got the people to to. To cry out and, and, and say, give us Barabbas and let Jesus be crucified. And it tells us that it's these religious leaders that were there that were, that were persuading the multitudes to ask for Barabbas. It is them that led the people and saying, his blood be on us and on our children. And so this is who Stephen's talking with. A short period of time has gone by And now he's before them. And he says to them, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You stiff-necked person. You're you're doing the exact same things that your father's did. Deuteronomy 10.16, referring to, to Israel or God's people, he's saying... Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Calling them to the the same phrase that's used, being stiff-necked, would have been something that would have come into the minds of the high court, come into the minds of the religious leaders immediately. Stephen's calling us that. He's saying, it's your heart that's the issue. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, it says, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart And the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. God's saying, circumcise your heart that you might love him with all your heart, with all your soul. And now he's telling them, You you have you're stiff-necked and you're uncircumcised of heart. You're the same as the Gentiles. In Jeremiah 4:4, it says, God says, it says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury comes forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. All of this is, is, is pointing these people to the fact that it's your heart that's the issue. You're so far from God. You're not listening to God. You haven't listened to anything that God has said. The Jews were so proud as, as far as their Jewish heritage and, and, and all that they had set up with the law and, and, and barriers around the law and the temple and all that was taking place. But Paul comes in in and, and Romans 2, and, and we know that Paul is, is the one that, that's referred to as far as here at the, at the end of Acts where it says, the clothes were... Of, of, the, they laid the clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and we know about Saul's conversion and what takes place there. But this one who was amongst them, this one who was amongst having people be killed, he said in Romans 2, 28, "...for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and a circumcision that is in, of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God." Paul got it later on as God revealed these things to him. It was an issue of his heart. It tells him here they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers. They killed them. All the prophets that had come before, they, they killed them, he's saying. In First Peter 1 and verse 10, it says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The prophets came and they, and they gave the message of this is what's going to take place, giving a message of repentance. And Stephen's just saying, y- you guys killed them all. What prophets did you not kill? What prophets did you listen to? You can go through Scripture and you can see prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of what God was doing. And you can see the way in which the people responded across the board. You see, God work in in ways of bringing people to repentance. But when you look at the way in which the people treated the prophets, you see them rejecting the message over and over again. And that's Stephen's point here. Think of some of the prophecies that were given. Prophecies of the fact that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Thinking of the fact that he'd be born a king in the line of David, Isaiah 9-7 or 2 Samuel 7-12. A child would be born, Isaiah 9-6, a, a, a verse that's familiar to probably all of us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. It tells us that in, in Isaiah 7, 13 and 14 that he'd be born of a virgin. Kings would... Bring him gifts and fall down before him psalm seventy two we know that he 'd be called out of Egypt, hosea eleven one We know that he 'd be rejected by his brethren psalm sixty nine verse eight. We knew that the, 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 the rulers would take counsel against him, even even what you 're seeing here with the sanhedrin in the high court. Psalm two says, "Why do the nations conspire and the people 's plot in vain? the kings of the earth? take their stand and the rulers together gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Psalm 2. Just describing who it is that Stephen's speaking to. We know that other things would take place like he would make the deaf hear and the blind see Isaiah 29 verse 18. We know that that there's details that are given incredible details as far as the soldiers casting lots for his clothing, his, his hands and his feet being pierced, Psalm 22 and Zechariah 12. We know that he'd be given gall and, and vinegar. We know that he'd be beaten and spit upon, Isaiah 50, verse 6. You can go through the details of, of the crucifixion and, 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 and look at so much of, of, of what occurred. He'd be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41 and Psalm 55. He would open not his mouth, Isaiah 53. He'd be buried with the rich, Isaiah 53, verse 9. He'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, silver Zechariah eleven 12. He'd be a picture of the Passover lamb without blemish. And his blood shed for us, Exodus 12, Isaiah 53. You could go through and, and and find more and more prophecies that are given, hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that are given with reference to Christ and who he is and what he's done, and they should have got it. They should have understood. The religious leaders are hearing all these things and and, and Stephen's just saying, What prophets did you guys not kill? You think of Elijah, where Elijah said in 1 Kings 19. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. Here's a prophet that's speaking, Elijah. The, they've killed your prophets with the sword. And now, they want to take my life. You hear it with Jeremiah, where Jeremiah and, and Jeremiah 2.27... He's referring to God's people saying, they say to the tree, you're my father. They say to the stone, you gave birth to me. For you've turned your, God says, for they've turned their back to me and not their face. But in time of trouble, they're going to say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you've made for yourselves? God says, let them arise. If they can save you in this time of trouble for according to the number of your cities are your gods. O Judah, why will you plead with me? You have transgressed against me, says the Lord. In vain I have chastened your children. They received no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. It's like a lion. You you guys have gone after my prophets and devoured them like a destroying lion devours. And so you see example after example, Zechariah tells us that, that they've made wooden images for themselves. It goes on in Second Chronicles chapter 24, saying, "God says, "Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He also has forsaken you." So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. They just killed the prophet with stones there. In the house of the Lord, we are familiar with Isaiah and how Isaiah was there, and and it tells us in Isaiah six that in the year that King Uzziah died, that here's Isaiah and he sees the Lord sitting on a throne and he's high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple and and above it stood seraphim and each one had six wings and two with, with two he covered his face with two he covered his feet with two he flew. And one cried to another saying, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken and the voice of him who cried out of the house was filled with with smoke. And it says that Isaiah is there saying, woe is me for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king. And and so we see all of this taking place and, and he hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And here's Isaiah saying, Here am I, send me. I'll go. I'll go. And what does God say to him? He says, Go and tell this people, go tell the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy. Shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. And then he said, then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant and the houses are without a man and the land is utterly desolate. Here Isaiah is saying, I'll go. And God's saying, okay, go, but they're not going to hear you. They're not going to listen to you at all. And the land is going to become utterly desolate. In this picture of of one of the most incredible scenes of Isaiah seeing the Lord high and lifted up, it's followed with, who's going to go? Now go, here am I, send me, go. And this is what is going to happen when you go. They hated him. Jesus had even said of these leaders, woe to you. He said in Luke 11, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. You're building these beautiful tombs, but your fathers are the ones that killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them and built their tombs. Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them will be, they will kill and persecute that the blood of all the prophets which is shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it will be required of this generation. And So we have this picture here in Acts chapter 7 of Stephen just laying all of these things out before him. You've killed all of the prophets that have gone before You find that the people, in hearing this, it tells us that when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Cut to the heart and gnashed at them with their teeth. In verse 57, it says, they cried out with a loud voice, They stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. It's just a riot taking place. Now when you you read this, this this isn't like a bunch of hooligans that have gotten together to do this. You're talking like like this is the Supreme Court. These are the people that are supposed to be the most distinguished of all the people. And they're Gnashing at him with their teeth. They start screaming with a loud voice. They cover their ears and they run at him with one accord, throwing rocks at him till he's dead. Why do they hate him like that? You see, these Christians in Egypt this morning, they they go to church. They're, They're going to celebrate Palm Sunday. They're going to celebrate the same thing that we're talking about here today as far as Jesus coming down on a colt, the full of a donkey, palm branches being waved, clothes laid on the ground, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And in the midst of a service like this, Either someone came in and placed a bomb or a suicide bomber put a bomb on and walked in, which we know took place in one of the churches. And you have 43 people dead and over 100 injured this morning. Well, why is, is there hatred that is like that? Why is there hatred that is, is, is bringing these people distinguished people here to a place of gnashing their teeth, screaming, stopping their ears, and running at him altogether and stoning him, throwing rocks at a man till he's dead. Ultimately, we know from God's word that it is a hatred for Christ. A hatred for Christ. These Christians that are there in Egypt, they make up less than 10% of the population. The, 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 they're not there to be a threat to the people who live in Egypt. I've been to those churches, and, and, and some of you were there with me in Cairo as we taught at that church. and Just incredible worship of the saints there. People just... Imagine a room half the size with probably five times the number of people in there. The, 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 there, there must have been a hundred and some people behind me on a stage this big. It, it was so hot and absolutely miserable in this place. But we preached there at the church and, and I, I remember just preaching looking at the faces and you could just see the faces of people and they, there's no question that they just were absolutely in love with Christ, in love with him. Why does someone do something like that? They hate Christ. They hate him. Why did they drag Stephen out and throw rocks at him? They hate Christ. They hate the gospel. They hate anything that says that that there is a holy God that cannot be a part of sin, that we're accountable to. They hate the idea that we could be saved, not based on obeying the five pillars of Islam or not based upon obeying the Old Testament law, not based upon our own works, not based upon building up good karma, but simply based on the fact that God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son. And his only begotten son was crucified for us. He fulfilled all righteousness, all of it, completely. And then he takes our sins upon himself. And simply says, whosoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. And they hate that. They hate the idea of the possibility of that message going forth. I mean, you see this here where it's, how do we kill this work that's taking place? How do we kill it? Well, let's kill Christ. Let's, let's beat up his disciples after the resurrection. Let's, let's tell them that they, they can't go and preach this anymore. And now we find the first martyr where it's, let's run at him together. Stopping our ears. Let's pull him out of the city and let's throw rocks at him till he's dead. That'll shut it down. And does it? Absolutely not. I mean, you're looking like 1980 or 85 years later. There's Christians that are celebrating Palm Sunday there in Egypt, just a short distance from Jerusalem that are being killed today, this morning. The hatred continues, but the gospel continues to flourish. Some of you weren't saved a year ago, and you are today. You heard the gospel, and God has radically changed your life. God does that. The gospel goes forward, and the scales of your eyes are removed, and you're able to see that you are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, and you place your hope in Christ and Him crucified. But there are still those in whom Stephen would be preaching to, saying, Here's what God's done. You're guilty, you haven't listened to any of the prophets. You've killed them just like your fathers have killed them. You killed the just one. You killed the righteous one. You killed Christ, and he's laying it out for them. When I went through and I, I just read those prophecies of just some of them, you can get in the bookstore. I just grabbed this on my way in. You can get in the bookstore. This here's a hundred prophecies fulfilled by Christ, and it just goes through, it gives you the text, it gives you the the place in which it's it, it's found in the New Testament and where it's fulfilled. And I just read through some of them. There was a hundred that were in here, and there's more. But just going through and just reading, like, how is, this, how is this possible? You would think that they would have read these things and seen all that's taken place, and realizing, like, we're actually fulfilling all this. We gave him 30 pieces of silver, and it said we were going to do that. When the prophecies that are fulfilled, it's laid out, born in Bethlehem, called out of Egypt. We made these things. These things have all happened. We see it all occurring. He's buried with the rich. His hands have been pierced. His feet have been pierced. The prophets had said that that would take place. But we haven't listened to any of it. And you see God work in the hearts of people where they start taking them through God's word, showing that Christ is the fulfillment, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, and you you watch them come to Christ, even people like Saul of Tarsus, who's there at the killing, the stoning of Stephen. But the hearts of some of these people are so hard that they're blind and they don't see any of these things. Stephen started this particular section out by saying, heaven is God's throne. The earth is his footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? And and he's just laying out, God is so much bigger than what you guys think. On Palm Sunday, they're waving palm branches. They're laying clothes down on the, the path. They're laying palm branches on the path. They're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But those same people are a part of those that are saying, give us Barabbas later in the week. Their view of God was way too small. They didn't know that he was the Savior. They didn't want a Savior. They wanted someone that was going to destroy the Roman occupation and set up a reigning kingdom then. But look at what Stephen sees. They're cut to the heart. They've gnashed their teeth at him. But he, being full of the Spirit, looks up into heaven, gazes into heaven, and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He says, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You think of Christians that are martyred today. And to think that our same Savior could be there causing the heavens to be opened, and him there standing at the right hand of God welcomed them into the kingdom. He rules. He reigns. They still have too small of a view of him, but he is one who is at the very right hand of the Father. Such that Stephen, while being stoned to death... Now imagine this they're throwing rocks at you, sometimes huge rocks at you. But the people have placed you in a, in a place outside the city and they're throwing these rocks at you until till you're dead. Like, I, I don't like being kicked in the shin, Much less have rocks just pummeled at me. And he's saying, Lord Jesus... Receive my spirit. He follows those words by, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Those were his last words. Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. His last words. The God that we serve, heaven's his throne. The earth's his footstool. We couldn't build a house big enough for him. There's no place where he would rest. By his hand, he made everything that exists. He's worthy of clothes being laid down. He's worthy of palm branches being laid down. He's worthy of palm branches being waved. He's worthy of us singing praises unto him with all of our heart from now and for all eternity. But he's also worthy of us having such a view of him and his sufferings and what he's done for us that we have great confidence to just say, Lord, when it's your time, receive me. The God that we serve is such that We have been forgiven of so much, haven't we? When you start laying it out and you think of your sin and you think of what God's forgiven you of, every sin. If you're here this morning and your hope is in Christ and Him crucified, when you think of how I get to heaven, it's Christ and Him crucified. It's not me. It's not what I've done. It's not that I'm sitting here in church. It's not whether I've done enough good deeds. It is that... Christ fulfilled all righteousness, and He puts that on my account, and he's taken my sin away. You could be here this morning and you're sitting there and you, you could think of the worst sins that you've ever committed. And you're sitting next to you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're thinking like, "I am so glad that they don't know about what I'm thinking right now. I'm so thankful. And whatever it is that you're thinking of, you just like scratch the surface of the depths of your sin. I mean, when you think of God saying there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who does good. The inclination of the heart is only evil continually. You, you did whatever was right in your own eyes. You love darkness rather than the light. Just like Saul is here and he's approving of the fact that Stephen's being killed, being stoned. You would have been just like him if it wasn't for the grace of God that has come upon you and has saved you. To think of what we are capable of and to think of what it is that he has saved us from, Stephen got it. You see, for him, the message that he was bringing to these people having been dragged before the high court, the message that he was bringing to these people was worth every part of him being put to death. You guys get that? It was totally worth it to him. He knew his sin and he knew what he had been saved from to where it's, if I can preach this to these people, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to come and say, hey guys, I'm good. And I'm, you know, can you let me go? What do I need to do to get out of here? I don't, I just, today is not the day I want to die. He just says, all right, and you're going to hear a real long sermon. And I'm going to tell you all about what God's done throughout history. Before he, 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 I, he probably only got like a quarter through his sermon before they ran at him and threw him out of the city and killed him. He didn't even get to finish it because they didn't want anything to do with any of it. But because. He knew his sin and he knew his savior because he looked at these people and he wanted them to know Christ that much. His last cry came out with a loud voice saying, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Don't charge them with this. (laughs) What a response. I mean, my inclination, I think, sometimes would be more like, I'm going to see how many I could take out with me. I mean, they may get me, but like, they're, they're going to feel it tomorrow. I'm going to make it, they will feel it tomorrow. But you see the, the sanctified work of this new believer. He's a new believer. Why? Because everybody was new believers at this particular time. And so if you're sitting there going, I don't think I can never have that kind of confidence. This is a new believer. And he knows his Savior. He knows that Christ had risen from the dead. And he knew his sin. And he knew what he had been saved from. To where he poured his heart in ministering to this court, to these leaders. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And what happened at that point? Well, we know that there Christ was at the right hand of the Father, welcoming him him in, entering into the joy of the Lord. That is the God that we serve. Heaven's his throne and the earth's his footstool. He deserves every bit of praise from us. And he will receive you into his kingdom for all eternity. On this Palm Sunday, may we find ourselves praising him, for he is our Savior. And may we find ourselves leaving this place with the kind of confidence that Stephen had to say, I will go forth and proclaim the gospel here and to the uttermost parts of this world for he's worthy of that. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our text this morning. We thank you for Palm Sunday and the fact that you came to Jerusalem knowing that it was at that place that you were going to die. A God that gave us his only begotten son knowing that he would be the lamb without spot or blemish or any such thing, gave us all the pointers that we needed through prophecy to know that Christ is, in fact, him. And then, Lord, you laid down your life for us on the cross. May we praise you. Praise you. For the way you came, lowly on a colt, the foal of a donkey, coming to be crucified. And I I pray, Lord, that you would give the saints here, Christians across this globe, such a love for you and such confidence in you and such a love for the lost and a realization of their own sin that they'd pour themselves in ministering the gospel. And watching you work miraculously to bring people to salvation. Just as Stephen did there. We've got to wonder how Stephen's life was used in the life of the Apostle Paul. What an awesome thing you did as seeds were planted there and you brought in a great harvest as you brought Saul to salvation and made him the Apostle Paul and used him in incredible ways for the church and for even the Bible that we possess this morning. You're at the right hand of the Father. You rule, you reign, and you are our eternal God. May we praise you now, Lord, as those who have been saved from a great multitude of sins. And may we live out worship to you throughout this entire week, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.